0: Support for all the books comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous. Did they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbetto that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mint steepers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness make Talenti, gelato, and sorbetto the greatest? You be the judge. But yes, it does make them the greatest, they're also the judge. To the delicious is in the details.
1: You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 122. And today we are talking about books being released on August 29th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com.
0: Hello, hello. Hello, yoga the, lady. Oh, thank you. I would say the dog days are almost over. We're like. The downward dog days are just beginning. <laughs> it's true. I had my first weekend of yoga teacher training and my brain is all filled with new ideas. And it does feel a little bit like fall in the evenings here now, just a touch. So I'm starting to have like all those happy fall thoughts about getting under a blanket and reading the big fall books and like being in that real season of publishing. September and October are always such a nice treat in books coming out of like the summer where it's pretty quiet, especially August. August can be slow but not today. Oh my
1: goodness, no. Like, I think, I was thinking about it this morning, this might be, like, my most spectacular lineup yet. Like, I just, I couldn't, like, decide which order to put them in. I had to, like, randomly choose. I just, they're all so amazing.
0: Yeah, this is a big, I think maybe it's because it's the Tuesday before Labor Day weekend. Publishers put out a bunch of books that we could take with us on Labor Day getaways. Yeah. Um, That's just my, little suspicion about the strategy there, but so many good things. I have a couple that I'm super excited about and some poetry that's a backlist pull. So I think we have a good lineup. You want to kick us off?
1: Yes. Um, So my first pick is Sip by Brian Allen Carr. It's his debut novel. He's written several novellas and a story collection, but this is his first novel, which is awesome. Also, I read this in December in manuscript form, and I'm kind of alarmed and also excited that it's out now. Like, how did I just read this in December? Like, it seems like it was just last week. It's it's so crazy to me. Um, I've been trying to come up with, like, a good term for this book, and I've settled on a few descriptors, like Apoco-Western, Dirt Punk, and grotesquern. <laughs> I, I think I bro- like
0: I like a Western. Yeah,
1: I think Grotesquern is my favorite, but like, I just, it's hard to describe, but it's so, so good. It is set in Texas in the future. um, Around our time, right now, someone discovered that sipping people's shadows gets you high. Oh. And so, but it also removes a little bit of people's life essence. Like, when you do that to them, if you sip from their shadow. You can only sip the shadows of living things. It gets you high. There's no regulations for this. Like, nobody's ever heard of this or seen it nobody knows what to do. So it just immediately becomes a problem because it's very addictive and everybody starts doing it. And boom, you're 150 years later. The world is on fire because most everyone is an addict um, and just everything has gone horribly wrong. The main character in the book is a young woman named Mira. She's the daughter of a shadow-sipping addict. And she goes out and helps her mother procure shadows because her mother can't do it for herself. Um, there's a city nearby. It's a domed city. It's kind of like... It's, it's a domed city, but it has a train that runs around it so that no one can ever get into the city. It kind of, like, blocks it off. It's sort of like a a snow piercer kind of idea. Like, this train just keeps going. The people inside the city are living, like, normal lives, as normal as they can be, um, without this kind of stuff going on. And there are armed guards on the walls trying to keep people out and all this stuff. And But basically, the rest of the country is just a, just a horrible mess. Um, so Mira is out. One day she meets another um, person named Merck. He's also an addict. And she runs into a guy named Bale. He used to work on the wall at the domed city, but he is now in exile for not following rules. And they hear that there is a cure for the shadow sickness. Like, you can cure someone, but the cure is only available before the arrival of Halley's Comet. And wouldn't you know, it's due to appear in a few days. So they set out. They end up in this crazy wild west town where people harvest limbs to keep, and like, keep them alive to keep shadows going. It's a whole industry. It's really gross and awesome. And they're, like, on this, like, sort of, like, really demented Wizard of Oz quest to to get home and have everything be okay. And it's, it's a definitely new take and weird take and fabulous take on addiction and war. And, yes, it sounds horrifying because some parts of it are, but it's actually really sweet and very, very funny as well. It's so original, and I just love everything that he does. It's so much fun. So it's called Sip. S-I-P, that's what I'm saying, by Brian Allen Carr.
0: Awesome. My first pick this week is The Burning Girl by Claire Messud, and I was excited about it at the end of last week's show. I am here to tell you it is just as exciting as I thought that it would be, and so different uh, from her previous novels. The Emperor's Children was super different from The Woman Upstairs, or I guess really The Woman Upstairs was super different from The Emperor's Children, because that's the order that they came in. And um, I knew that there would be sort of this like feminist burn under the fiction, but it's not nearly as obviously angry as The Woman Upstairs was if you read that. Um, This is a novel about uh, two teenage girls. It's narrated by Julia. She and Cassie have been best friends since they were little kids. And now that they're going into middle school and they're going through adolescence, Their friendship is changing. Their families have always been really different. Julia has sort of the quintessential suburban nuclear family. Her dad is there. He's really present. Her parents are a little corny, and they pay a ton of attention to her and are very invested in her education. She's one of those kids that, like, the fact that she has a bright future is a given. Cassie... Her mom is single. Her dad, she has always thought, has been dead since she was a kid, and her mom has you know, worked really hard to make a life for them, but is kind of eccentric, and Cassie's future is not set. Um, Cassie sort of falls in with what Julia thinks is the wrong group of friends, and weird things then start to happen in Cassie's family. Her mom gets this boyfriend who is around a whole lot and is very super like fundamentalist Christian conservative and starts really influencing how their home life goes. Nothing like wrong, wrong is happening that we know of between the boyfriend and Cassie, but she really hates his presence. She's feel his presence and she feels uncomfortable at home. And Julia just starts getting less and less of this because she's seeing Cassie less and less and is wondering about what's going on. And then Cassie disappears and we find out what Julia did to try to find Cassie, some more of the secrets about their friendship. And it's ultimately about what it is to be a girl in the world. Um, and these are two white girls in the suburbs, so that it's a very particular kind of story um, that Claire Messud is telling here, but it's sort of about the, like, for lack of a better term, kind of that cliche end of innocence feeling when you start to understand that the crazy, messy life that happens in your own head is the same kind of weird, messy stuff that's happening in everyone else's heads and what mysteries other people are to us, but also the pain of trying to like hold on to friendships that have meant something to you while you become very different people. And the threads that connect us, even when our lives, you know, become very different from each other's or when you grow away from friends, it's... It asks really big questions through the lens of people who are just starting to understand or trying to understand who they are as people. And so it's a coming of age story in that way. It reminded me in parts, I guess, because of the intensity of the friendship between these two girls and some of the questions and the secrets, it reminded me a bit of uh, Girls on Fire by Robin Wasserman. And uh, I've heard that Marlena is kind of similar by Julie Bunton. I haven't gotten to read that one yet. Um, but I really, really liked it. It's different in the Claire Messud oeuvre. It felt a lot less, uh, it, like not not less smart, but it's like a less intellectual read the sentences are still very gorgeous the way that she observes what's happening in these characters minds is still very insightful and very careful she's a very careful writer all the words go exactly where they're supposed to go but it feels like less of an exercise reading this book which i just thought was an interesting experience given um kind of what woman up upstairs felt like so I really liked it. I think this is a great book for a book club, especially, and it's called The Burning Girl. It's a new novel by Claire Messud. And if you're going to pick it up, also um, trigger warnings for suicide, um, relatively graphic descriptions of suicide.
1: I just realized that I'm missing trigger warnings too, so maybe we could just record a little thing at the end. And Okay. Or we could do it now and then. Let's it do up. it now. Let's tell okay. people now. Um, so today on today's show, uh, I have a trigger warning in my third segment. A uh, trigger warning for sexual abuse and violence. And Rebecca, you have one in your first
0: book. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about the the details of the thing, but my first pick, um, the first book, does include some mentions of suicide.
1: Okay. All right. Hard stuff out of the way
0: roll <laughs> um I guess we'll do our first sponsor This week, our good friends at Third Love are back thinking about going back to school or just into fall in your fall wardrobe. You might be thinking about, you know, having the right pieces under your clothing so that everything looks the way you want it to look. And we all know that bra shopping is a drag. It is not a secret. So what if you could skip the lines, the dressing rooms, that person who's knocking on the dressing room door inevitably calling you sweetie while they ask if your bra is fitting perfectly and find the perfect fitting bra in minutes at home, if that all sounds good to you, then you should check out Third Love. You can use their online fit finder quiz and they'll recommend the bra that's right for your size and your shape. It does ask you questions about your body shape and the particular shape of your girls. And it recommends the bras that are the best fit for you. 3rd Love is obsessed with finding the perfect fit. That's why they're the only lingerie brand that offers bras in half cup sizes. You might be a half cup size and you never even knew it before because that wasn't an option. Best of all, you can try one of 3rd Love's amazing and super comfortable bras for free for 30 days. You just pay 2 dollars for shipping and you can try it, cut the tag off, wash it, wear it to work, wear it around the house, take it traveling, whatever. You might even forget that it's on. If your new 3rd Love bra is not your new favorite, no problem, just return or exchange it for free, go to thirdlove.com slash books now to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. Again, that's thirdlove.com slash books to try your new favorite bra for free. Thirdlove.com slash books.
1: You were so excited about it that you read it instead of me. Oh. (laughs) I was like, okay, I have to do the ad now. And then you started talking
0: and I was like... Well, all right
1: then. Well, This it's doesn't Monday. get you out of the other one. You're doing the other one. That's too, fine. Lady. That's fine. You'll just, you'll either,
0: I was going to say you'll owe me one, but you didn't owe me one. I just, like, you I just stole, stole that. Stole it. Yeah. I That's see- okay. it. I hope you didn't have any boob jokes lined up for today. No, I was wondering why it's
1: called Third Love, though. Do we know this? Do we know why? We
0: don't know. I, sh- I could maybe find out. I could have our Ad Ops guys find yeah. out why it's called Third Love. I've
1: always wondered that. If I was going to name a bra company, I'd probably name it Hang Two. no i don't know i got no jokes today that's that's my best so i'm just gonna roll on to the next book because it's so good it's another debut novel you read this it's like holy cats how is this a debut novel it is the resurrection of joan ashby by sharice wallace and it's spectacular Uh, it starts out with some sort of media like interviews and Excerpts uh, about an author named Joan Ashby. Uh, she became very famous when she was like 20. She published a story collection. She was like the darling of the industry, translated into a million languages. Rave reviews. And then later on, she a few years later, she published another story collection. Same thing. Huge hit. Everybody loves her. She does a world tour. Um, the excerpts at the beginning are like interviews that she gave. She talks about like her childhood, how her parents had a child, but they weren't really le- interested in having a child. She was not so much neglected. It's just like there was no emotion there from her parents. They they weren't attached to her at all. She kind of was on her own always. And she made a list of things that she was going to do when she grew up. And one was be an author and the other one was never have children because, you know, <laughs> she she just knew that like... Kids, you know, were a distraction, and if you can't give them the attention that they need or the love that they need, then, like, don't have them, you know. Um, So, but it turns out, as we learn in this interview, that um, on the eve of her second tour for her second book, she has met a man and gotten married. But, you know, it's fine because, like, he's like, she says, I don't want kids, and he says, I don't want kids, and that's fine. Um, And then what she doesn't know is that Right after her wedding, she is pregnant. And then it kicks into the meat of the book. Like, we learn all this from, like, the interview.
0: <laughs> like, it hasn't even started yet. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, I know. But, like, in the in this interview part, there are also some excerpts from the stories that she wrote in her collections that are so cool and amazing. And so now, you're like, here, here you are having, you know, from Joan's perspective, you know, she meets this man. She's like, I'm going to be a writer. And he's like, that's great. I'm going to be a doctor. But then, you know, she finds out that she's pregnant and he is so excited that... She can't break his heart by saying, you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to have this baby. And she's like, well, you know, maybe everything will be fine. Uh, and then no one hears from her again for 30 years. Like, she, she's writing, but she has kids now. Like, she has another son. And she's still working on her writing, but everything has changed because her life has changed. And she has children, and things are going wrong, and she's not enjoying what she's writing. Or she, it's all changed for her. It's not working. So, like, for all these reasons, you know, and she's raising her sons, and one of her sons wants to be a writer, and he's just like her, and one of her other sons is, like, the opposite of her, you know, and you just learn all about her life and everything that's going on, and she's still trying to write, like, this great novel. Like, everybody was really excited to see a novel from her. You know, now everyone has pretty much forgotten her, written her off, and she's been working on, like, you know, this giant, fabulous novel forever, and, like, 30 years later, she's ready for a comeback when her life crumbles all over again. It's just... It's this book is so stunningly well written. It's in it's so beautiful and intense, and it's like about what it means to be an artist and a mother and the sacrifices that you know parents make and the sacrifices women make. And it's it's so just oh I just love it so much. Um, when I was when I was little, my mother worked in a library, and when I was like nine or ten, I started reading all the contemporary fiction books that everybody was checking out. Um, and read them, like, through middle school and high school. And, you know, I was reading, like, John Irving and Ann Tyler and John Updike and, um, you know, Pat Conroy, and I would read these books, and I would feel like, this is a grown-up book. This is, These are feelings that grown-ups have and how grown-ups behave, and this is really smart, and, you know, it, it just was so cool to be like, I'm learning about grown-ups, and I haven't had that feeling reading a book. And I know oh, technically mm-hmm. I am a grown-up, like, technically, <laughs> but that gave me this, like... Like, the, I had this wonderful sense when I was reading this book that, like, I'm reading something special, and this is about, like, how people are when they grow up, and it's, because it's so lush and mesmerizing, and sometimes it's a little self-indulgent, and it's a little bit of a hot mess here and there, but, like, so is the secret history. That's what makes it so amazing. I just, I absolutely loved all 600 pages of this book. Oh, um, boy. It's, it's a big one, but, oh, so worth it. It's, it's going to be divisive, though. Like, people are going to fall on one side or the other with this book, like... It's it's just so good though. Again, it's called The Resurrection of Joan Ashby and it's by Sharice Wallace.
0: We could probably write a whole thing at Book Riot or just like start a group for people who like John Irving and uh, Ann Tyler were there entree into feeling like they were reading like grown-ups. Like that was right up there for me. My very first one was Wally Lamb because <laughs> thank you, Oprah. <laughs> um, it's true. And- Yeah. But that, that sense of like, this is, I'm reading about life now is so magical sometimes. Oh,
1: I love it.
0: Um, My next pick this week is called Little Boxes, 12 Writers on Television. It's from Coffeehouse Press. It's edited by Caroline Casey and it has an awesome, awesome lineup of, um, of writers writing about TV. Um, And sort of from all different perspectives, Justin Taylor writes about Dawson's Creek and what happened when he went back last year to revisit Dawson's Creek and sort of started looking at it through a critical eye and examining the show and thinking about the first time that he watched it when he was 15 and he was the same age as the characters, which is an experience that I had almost identically. Um, Eden Lepucky has a piece called My Monster. There is a piece in it, about um, how the writer became obsessed with... Northern Exposure and the night that she and her boyfriend spent in that same small town where Northern, where Northern Exposure was filmed, like trying to recreate the feeling of what the show had given them and her reflecting on why that show. Um, Justin Torres, who wrote the novel We the Animals a couple of years ago, has a great piece in it about what it was like for him as a young gay Latino boy watching Ricky Vasquez, the first openly gay like main character of a TV show on My So-Called Life in the 90s and how he he was still in the closet, but uh, Ricky Vasquez is definitely not in the closet on the show and people at school like would comment to him that Ricky reminded them of him and he sort of felt himself being outed by that process. Um, it's it's really powerful. I love TV. I don't know if that comes up as much on this show as it does on the Book Riot podcast, but I watch a lot of the shows. I think a lot about television and sort of where we are in the culture with it. And so I really, really loved this. Coffeehouse Press also does just really interesting essay collections about things that are happening in the culture. They had one, I think I talked about it on here last year, um, they had one all about like cats on the internet. Yes. And and it was great. Uh, So these are just really interesting meditations, essentially, about what TV is in our lives and what it says about the culture. Some are about sitcoms, but they take the sitcoms very seriously. Some are, you know, funnier looks at serious shows. Um, Really interesting sort of all over the spectrum, a diverse and eclectic group of writers talking about all kinds of different things that came on TV. Some of them were TV things that I was familiar with. Some were TV shows that I've never watched that made me want to go pick up those things and check them out. So again, it's called Little Boxes, 12 Writers on Television. It's edited by Caroline Casey.
1: Who kicks ass. Oh, can yes. I say that word?
0: Well, I'm going to go it's with totally,
1: yes. It's totally <laughs> appropriate for Caroline. <laughs> She's so awesome. Um, also, uh, Ruman Alam, the author of Rich Girls. No, Rich, oh, and, yes. Rich and Pretty. Rich and Pretty. That's it. Um, He's been, like, Instagram storying his adventures of rewatching Party of Five, which I've never seen, but it's quite (laughs) hilarious, the the observations.
0: Yeah, and he has a great piece in the book called Very Special Episodes that's about that, you know particular thing that happened like in the late 80s and early 90s where television had those they were literally called very special episodes that it was like this week on 90210 a kid plays with a gun and bad things happen you know like the stuff that was intended to teach you moral lessons oh and there's a really great one I forgot to write down the writer's name there's a really great piece in it um, by a man whose family watched the like the Cosby show was the one thing that his family watched together when they were growing up Um, he is is part Indian and the Cosby family was the only family on TV that looked even remotely like his family. His parents are both educated professionals. And he writes about going back to watch some of the Cosby show with his adult eyes and what we now know about Bill Cosby and how it it recast a lot of the things that he sees in the show, but trying to reconcile that with what the show meant to him as he was growing up. Um, Really thoughtful. And I thought a really excellent take on a very difficult thing.
1: That very special episode of 90210 is the only episode of 90210 I've ever seen.
0: Oh man, a couple years ago I watched all of 90210 um, for the first time because my mom didn't let me watch it growing up and it is really something.
1: Yeah, I was like, "Oh, well this is going to be exciting." But, you know, like I'm not really interested in the show, but but it was a total cheat, like spoiler, <laughs> it wasn't even one of the characters like that they used all the time. That was lame.
0: Yeah, no, it's just like the uh, they're in uh, Brian, the kids that big yeah. dummy. <laughs> They're in some kid's house. Like yeah. you've never heard of this kid before. Yep. He just goes to their school, and he's the one. He's the vehicle for the, for that big lesson. But yep. you know, there's I was so like that was a total cheat.
1: <laughs> it is. Oh, uh, we're so off topic. Get okay. us back on track. All right. um Before I talk about my next book, I just want to reiterate that it does have a trigger warning for sexual abuse and violence. Um, This book is brutal, but it's so incredible. It is called My Absolute Darling by Gabriel Talent. It's about a 14-year-old girl named Julia, but she goes by Turtle, Um, Only Julia to, like, people at school and and, and administration and stuff. She lives in Northern California with her dad, Martin. Um, He is 100% the villain of this book. He is not a good man. He is a hard-drinking, misogynistic, apocalypse survivalist nut. He teaches Turtle all about guns and what will happen when the apocalypse comes or, you know, something. there's a civil war or something like that. Um, her mother hasn't been around since she was very little. and it's just her and her dad growing up in this pretty sketchy house. Um, you know, shooting at things all the time. He makes her uh, shoot at targets. when she comes home from school, like pretend like there's somebody in the house. and it's just it's it's very stressful for her. Um, they also have a very inappropriate relationship. Um, he takes full advantage of her it's it's quite horrible horrifying. Um, she has no friends. she's pretty much been raised by her father to hate women like you can in her internal dialogue like at the beginning of the book like the things that she says about women like in her head you can see like she's been influenced by her father. She's also doing very poorly in school which gets her in a lot of trouble with her dad because if she does poorly he's like he says they're gonna come and take her away from him, and while her father is, like, the worst possible person for her, she loves her dad because he's all that she's known, like, growing up. She's basically, you know, just by herself with her dad. Um, So, like I said, it's it's kind of really awful, and your heart breaks over and over and over for this girl. She meets a boy named Jacob, a teen. Um, One day she encounters him in the woods, and she becomes friends with him. He has everything that she doesn't. He has a normal life and a family, and he shows her that, you know, what she's living is not the norm and, and makes her wish for a different life. I mean, so throughout the book, she is struggling to get away from Martin. She's struggling to get away from her father. Um, and, you know, it's just... It, that's the story. It's her trying to get away from him. Um, it's it's really brutal. Like I said, it's really brutal. It's like little life-level trauma. Um, the stuff that Turtle cool. en- endures is, is really awful. But this book is so raw and powerful... And the setting is just gorgeous. It turns out that I was reading the thing in the New York Times today about Gabriel Talent. And he started writing this book uh, when he, he's only 30. And he started writing this book when he was a senior in college because he was missing his home in Northern California. And he started writing this book about, like, the landscape and, and everything there. And over the years, it sort of changed. His mom is an author as well, Elizabeth Talent. And she told him to keep going because he's like, he didn't know what to do with it. And eventually, turtle herself emerged <laughs> turtle emerged from her shell. Um, turtle became the main focus of this story, and her, his mother was like, you know that's it, there you go, you have it. Um, and, but like the descriptions of the landscape and where she lives, everything is just gorgeous. Um, I just you know, this book is is really hard, but so wonderful. Again, it's called My Absolute Darling and it's by Gabriel Talent.
0: I think this is the first time since a little life that I've heard something described as like a little life level of trauma in the t- in the text.
1: It's it's very hard.
0: Let's roll on to something inspirational. All right. about that. Um, My next pick this week is called Girls Who Code, Learn to Code, and Change the World. It's by Reshma Saljani. And in 2012, she founded an organization called Girls Who Code with the idea to teach girls to code, sort of part of the bigger global movement to involve girls in the push towards STEM careers rather than just, you know, towards like helping careers, Um, which are good too, but girls need to be involved all the way across the spectrum. Uh, And Reshma is attempting to get girls in, like, right at the ground floor so they can go to, you know, colleges that they can pursue STEM careers through and sort of fix that pipeline problem. This is an attempt to go to one of the sources of the, like, huge gender gap in technology. Um, and also when women understand technology and are making technology, hopefully technology will be friendlier Two women. Um, so when these girls grow up, they really can change the world. It's an incredible organization if you happen to be looking for something to support, or if you have a young girl in your life um, that could be exposed to this. They've taught over 40,000 girls across America how to code already, and they ground it all in sort of real life stuff. So this is a new book that's intended to help. You or a girl in your life also learn to code. There is a, there's artwork. Um, there's a lot of so just straightforward explanations, sort of the basic fundamentals of coding. And then there's also real life stories of girls and women who learn to code and now they work like at NASA or Pixar. Um, and the book has just gorgeous, cool illustrations, and it shows how computers and computer science and coding play roles in our lives in you know some of the obvious ways like we all understand that the laptop that we're working on or that the phone that we're holding in our hand is a piece of technology that someone coded but you know you don't think about like the coding software that the coding that had to get done for your doctor to be able to like bill you for your latest Uh, visit through their software but it's just down into like the nitty-gritty of our lives and the book shows that in a way that's really I think exciting and inspiring and it's a fun book to read like this is a serious and educational topic but the book is fun Um, and again it's just from a great organization and an awesome woman who founded it so it's called girls who code learn to code and change the world it's by Reshma Saujani
1: well all right Mm -hmm. now will you please tell us about our next sponsor because (laughs) I'm not doing it
0: You don't want to steal it from me? No. Okay. Uh, Our next sponsor this week is Book of the Month. (laughs) And yeah, you know Book of the Month. And we know that Liberty is one of their awesome judges there. Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service, but it has a really simple goal. It's to make sure that you love what you read. They search high and low for new books that you wouldn't have found on your own. And they have a special focus on debut authors. You get the list of the five books each month. So you browse the five best. You get the favorites delivered to your doorstep. You get to pick. The price starts at just $10 for new hardcover releases that usually cost upwards of $15 anywhere else. So it's a great value. And whether you get a book a book, whether you get a book once a month or once a season, the exclusive prices are going to save you tons. Anytime that you get your reading from book of the month, you're going to save money. It's a lot of fun to get the list every month, um, especially if you get to see one of the books that Liberty picked and then to choose your book and know that it's coming for you in the mail. Among Book Riot insiders, it's like a thing when the new book of the month picks get announced each month and everybody talks to each other about um, which one they're going to get and then people end up having side conversations about the ones that um, that they've read. So really delightful, really fun Book of the Month is bound to delight you, and you'll get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash all the books. So give it a shot. That's bookofthemonth.com slash all the books.
1: Well, all right. Yep. <gasps> it's my turn.
0: It is your turn. I was like, what's, <laughs> what's about to happen?
1: I was just going to let you run away with the show.
0: <laughs> I don't know this next book, so I would just have to make something up.
1: Yeah. it's It almost slipped under my radar, and I'm glad that it didn't. It is The Tragedy of Brady Sims by Ernest J. Gaines. I have to say, I have never read him. I'm a little ashamed. Wait, he... wrote A he... Lesson Before Dying. Yes! And I didn't know he had a new book. Yeah, and it's, it's just a novella. It's very small, 120 pages. Um, he also wrote The Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, and I'm pretty sure that I have both of those books in my house somewhere. I just still have not read them. Um, but this is a new novella, and it, as far as I can tell, doesn't actually say but I think it's set somewhere in, like, the 1960s. I do know it's set in Louisiana. It opens with a father fatally shooting his son after his son is sentenced to life in Angola prison. They're in the courtroom. The son is sentenced. The father pulls out a gun in front of the deputies and the judge and the jury and this young reporter and shoots his son because it turns out that parents would rather see their son in the ground than in this horrible prison because when they come out, they'll never be the same. Uh, So... The young reporter immediately runs to the payphone to call his boss and say, you're not going to believe what happened. And he, the, the, his boss says, I want you to have a human interest piece about Brady Sims by midnight tonight. Now, Brady Sims, he shoots his son, and then he says to the deputies, he says, tell the sheriff to give me two hours and then come and get me. And when the sheriff shows up, he's like, I'll give him the two hours. And so in the meantime, the reporter heads to Felix barber shop because there are a group of men who hang out there all the time and they seem to know all the gossip in town and he wants to learn some about this Brady Sims. So it turns out that Brady Sims was sort of he's not he's not a great man. And his job in the community was to whip the kids who weren't behaving oh, no. who weren't behaving properly. Like he, nobody wanted their kids to end up in prison or to be criminals. So if they wouldn't listen to their parents, they would send them over to Brady Sims, and he would give them a whooping. Um, and so then you learn about this, and you also learn about his own son's story. He had lots of children, but this is the son that he ends up shooting. You learn about his story and where he came from and what was happening there. It's a tragedy, but it's also very funny. There you have like the Greek chorus almost in the barbershop. shop. You have, like, the one guy who knows everything about everybody. You have who I would call, like, the verifier, who, like, every once in a while, while the guy who knows everything is talking about it, he'll say, isn't that right? And the verifier will go, yep. Like, that's his that's his role. You have the laugher who thinks everything is pretty hilarious. You have a customer who stopped in to get a haircut on his way to a booty call and <laughs> stayed to hear this amazing story about Brady Sims and just keeps chiming in with, like, oh, she's gonna kill me, I'm so late, you know, but he can't stop listening to this story. Um, the majority of the story is from the reporter's perspective, and then the last several pages are narrated by the sheriff, who gives him his two hours. Um, it is as much a novel about small towns and gossip as it is about ignorance and violence. Uh, it's it's fantastic, and I'm definitely going to read some more by him. He's like 84 now. He's like yeah, um, but I'm so glad that I read this one. It is the tragedy of Brady Sims by Ernest J Gaines.
0: We read A Lesson Before Dying when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school. So, like 20 years ago. And I remember it being really moving and difficult and important. I'm interested in what else he's been up to. You should definitely go back. Yes. Read that one.
1: After I read all of the John Boyne backlist, of which there are like 20 books, (laughs) it's so crazy.
0: I got all excited to pick up the John Boyne for my trip next week, and then I looked at how many books are coming out in September that I want to read, and I was like, what am I going to do?
1: Oh, man, it's so bad
0: oh well my last pick this week is a collection of poetry that's been out for a little while now it's called today means amen by Sierra de Mulder. I picked it up at print in Portland maine a couple of weeks ago and I finally got to read it this past weekend it's really beautiful um if her if Sierra de, de molder's name sounds familiar you might recognize her because this poem that the book is named after went viral she's a YouTube poet very well known um, and the book does contain lots of content related to sexual abuse, to emotional trauma, and to suicide. So if you are sensitive to those things, this may not be a book of poetry for you. Um, But it is a remarkable example of something really beautiful being made out of really difficult, ugly experiences. The opening... Uh, Poem is about a very difficult breakup. That relationship and that breakup make appearances throughout the book. There are other references to abuse that she experienced, to suicidal feelings. Um, But it's this like gorgeous, difficult beauty mixed in with pain, which I think is a thing that poetry especially does very well. Like sometimes people pull it off in fiction. I thought Hanya Yanagahara pulled it off in a little life, mixing, you know, very very painful things with gorgeous language and telling a beautiful story, but poets like go right to the heart of it. Here's a little bit of the title poem today means amen. Dear you, whoever you are, however you got here, this is exactly where you are supposed to be. This moment has waited its whole life for you. This moment is your lover and you are a soldier. Come home, baby. It's over. You don't need to suffer anymore. Dear you. This moment is your surprise party. You are both hiding in the dark and walking through the door. This moment is a hallelujah. This moment is your permission, your permission slip to finally open that love letter you've been hiding from yourself, the one you wrote when you were little, when you danced like a sparkler at dusk. Do you remember the moment you realized they were watching? When you became, of how much, when you became afraid, ashamed of how much light you were holding? When you first learned how to unlove yourself? Dear you, the word today means amen in every language. Today we made it. And she goes on for a couple more pages. But that's the kind of really excellent, powerful poetry that's there. And if you would like to see her read it much more elegantly uh, than I did, you can give that a Google on YouTube. Again, the collection is called Today Means Amen by Sierra DeMolder. We made it! We did it! What are you going to read next?
1: I just started... Uh, Grist Mill Road by Christopher Yates.
0: That sounds appropriately gritty (laughs) for you.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, I was going to tell you what it was about based on, like, a blurb I read about it a long time ago, but now everything that I'm looking at on the book and in reviews don't give that part away, so I'm not going to say that part. But it's, like, about... Uh, three teenagers in 1982, and a terrible thing happens. And then they meet up again 26 years later, and supposedly more terrible things happen. But I've read the first few pages, and it's really alarming. So, <laughs> so it's definitely it's it's already like more twisted than his first one, which was Black Chalk. Black Chalk. Did you read that one? Mm-mm. Sort of like a secret history ish college noir thing. That was a good description. Um, so, yeah, I'm really enjoying this one out from
0: Picador. Love them. Uh, what are you going to read next? I just started for next week Sing Unburied Sing by Jesmyn Ward. Mm-hmm. And it is, like, gut-punching and great from page one. So that was – like, I knew it would be great, but I didn't know how sort of tough the opening chapter would be. It's pretty gritty. Um, and I started that over coffee this morning. So now that I'm more fully awake, I'm going to read some more of it today. But man, she is just a force. She
1: certainly is.
0: That is our show this week, thank you to our sponsors, Talenti, Gelato, and Sorbetto to Third Love. Go to thirdlovecom books to get your free 30-day trial with one of their bras. Maybe we'll know why it's called Third Love by the next time we're here together. And Book of the Month, go to bookofthemonth.com slash all the books to get your first book for ten dollars. If you have something to say to us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, we always appreciate that and it helps other folks to find their way to us.
1: And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookride.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime,
0: meantime, happy happy reading. reading.